I'm Crystal Siracus. Welcome to Off the Page, the show featuring good books and good conversations with authors from our own region and from around the world. My guest today is Ithaca poet Mary Gilliland. Her poems have been published in many different literary journals over the years. She's the author of two collections, the most recent being The Devil's Fools. She joins me today to talk about her collection and to share some of her work with us. Mary, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you, Crystal. I'm delighted to be here with you. Do you remember when you first started writing poetry? Well, I do because I have the little cutouts from our town's weekly newspaper. I was about six years old, and the poems were kind of modeled on uh, the verse uh, that was available to children, shall we say, at that time. So it was uh, rhythm and rhyme. And mm. so you were published at that age? Yes, my mother said uh, repeatedly about, I don't know, four of them at different times to the local paper. So, Oh, I love that. I love that. What poems and writers, especially if you were writing at that early age, when do you think you got serious about it, I guess? I was, I would say I got serious when, uh, well, it was actually several different times in my life because I, I was in and out of it until I got totally serious. So I believe it was around age 11 or 12, I discovered uh, Walt Whitman. And this was a whole different range of poetry, both subject matter and also the variability in the cadences of the poem and the lines. And so that opened up something for me. And from there, I went on to read contemporary uh, poets who were writing and publishing at that time. I was lucky in my high school that uh, I had an incredible English teacher, and she had a, a six-week course in, in solely in contemporary poetry. So at that time, I was introduced to Marianne Moore, E.E. E. Cummings, Richard Wilbur. These were uh, you know, living American poets. Oh. And then, hmm, um, there was a, a period of time in my late 20s that I really concentrated, and I had a letterpress collection of poetry published. But I would say I went into full dedication to poetry as I was turning 40. I discovered there were places called writing residencies, and I applied to them, and I was invited to quite a few of them. And a very special one is the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown. There's only eight people invited per year, and it's seven months long. There's not a lot of money there, but it's they give you a, a free place to live, and you're on your own, and your job is to be a poet. And so uh, this was a turning point in my life, because while I was there, I thought about the way I organized my days. And um, I, I taught college writing, and um, I reorganized my days when I came back so that I was able to do that in the afternoons rather than with the first energy of the morning. So, yeah. Did that change writing for you? Um, well, I learned while I was away how much uh, it takes to make a poem, and it's true work like any other form of work. And, and I had been conditioned to think of it as a avocation, you know, something you would do in your free time. 
But um, if your free time is your real time, uh, that's, I find, when poetry happens. And so I would say that was the big change for me. And then I did make a goal way back at that time that I would retire as early as I could so that I would have um, my whole day, you know, to now you could say a whole day for poetry. When I've been at residencies away from home where there's no disturbances, there's no distractions, people are looking after everything else for you. And in those circumstances, I really have uh, had maybe up to four uh, stretches of poetry throughout a day, you know, for an hour and a half, two hours. You really do need a break from the intensity of it. Uh, I find that at home, uh, once a day is what I can manage with, mm. you know, with household, life. householder life. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I love free time is your real time, by the way. That's a beautiful line. I really like that. Um, you. When you sit down to write, are you working on a particular theme or idea with some kind of intentional focus? Or is it more organic and you just go with kind of whatever comes out that day? Uh, I, mm, the poetry writing is organic. I listen and uh, it will often start not with a topic, but with a phrase. It could be a phrase I even hear or see somewhere, but um, more, more often it's just some mysterious collection of words that just starts going through my mind that uh, something starts to build on that. And so I won't, I sometimes I'll know it is about this, but more often I won't. And I will sit down and start writing and see what comes then. So it it builds, it builds into a draft. Sometimes I'll, it'll be a draft uh, in, in one sitting. Sometimes it'll be a draft over a period of days. I might have a stanza or two, and then the next day there's another one coming, and the next, so it's over a period of a week or so. Then there's, of course, the putting it down and coming back and revising and editing, which may happen many times before the poem is realized. I'm gonna take advantage of the fact that you're also a teacher. Because okay. I think if someone has never written a poem, hmm. it's hard to understand that, you know, especially for some poems that we see that in terms of lines or word count may not be very long, but still take a lot of time to work into that. What is that process like of tweaking a particular word? How do you know when the poem is done? What is revision like for you? Hmm. Much of what I'm doing, uh, I find is, removing words, um, words that might, hmm, I be, I might be very attached to them. They, they might be, oh, that's so great, you know, but um, it's, it's not serving the purpose of the poem. And I read aloud uh, as I'm doing this. Um, I, if, if I find something is changing, I will often, I'll start writing the poem all over from the top down. I, I compose by hand. And uh, sometimes uh, if I've left a poem yesterday and I come back to it today, I may get back into it just by starting to write the whole thing again. And so it's uh, just a question of 
so many things in poetry. You have the image, you have the line breaks. The line breaks are, I would say for me, paramount. Um, I I love the, what's called the enjambment. And that's where you have, you know, the line ends with one word and you're almost expecting something else uh, to continue the next line, but there's a surprise instead. So mm. I, I do love that feature of poetry very much. Um, and I, I often work with uh, images. Some of my poems are uh, primarily images that are juxtaposed. And ideally, there'll be some insight in the person hearing it or reading it because these particular uh, visions are side by side, you know. Your new collection, The Devil's Fool, centers around myth in a, in a great part of it and this search for the divine in daily life. I'm curious, mm. what do these poems tell us about you? Hmm. Well, there are different themes, I would say, within the book. They would tell you that I'm very concerned with the human uh, treatment of the environment and of animals. There's a stretch of poems in the book that was inspired by being in uh, Scotland while there was a foot and mouth epidemic, uh, which is a pandemic among you know animals. And the government policy of what was required just horrified me, the mass slaughter of animals that weren't sick and so, so there's that is a part of it. Um, there's also the the play with the uh, Greek myths that were so much a part of my childhood reading, and giving a new slant on Odysseus as a contemporary, or on you know Persephone as uh, a modern woman. Uh, there's uh, also there's quite a number of poems about alcoholism and uh, recovery and hard times with parents. Um, mm, mm, there's also, I write not always for my own voice or in my own voice. And so once in a while, there's a poem about somebody entirely different, like Lizzie Borden, the purported mm. act murderer has, has a poem in this book. So mm, I'm, I'm also concerned about uh, our, our violence as a species. And so there's a poem written in the voice of Cain, Cain, the first uh, murderer, according to the Bible. And so I try to, hmm, it's not that I try to, after a while, I'll be writing something and I'll realize, oh, this isn't me. I have to become this entirely different person. I mean, what is it like? How does it feel? And And then that becomes the aim of the poem to uh, be a murderer and um, convey that uh, foreignness to the majority of us who fortunately don't have that inclination. But I don't want to block anything out of the human realm. Right, right. Yeah. I, I would love for you to read one of these poems now. Could you read Lit with a Radiance? Okay, yes. Uh, this this poem has recurring words uh, between the images uh, joy and sorrow and glory. And they're taken from the Roman Catholic rosary. They're the names of the, the mysteries. And someone reciting the rosary for each mystery will say, uh, and our father and Hail Mary, as they go through the 
joyous and the sorrowful and the glorious. Lit with radiance, joy oscillates to sorrow as a dolphin breathes one element to move in another, as a butterfly eats the plant's green solids when it crawls, the nectar when it's winged. Sorrow fathoms glory as a tree's roots curl irregular in shape and thickness, unsteadying the outline of its trunk. Glory rouses joy the way a mystery comes close to shadow or a shoulder leads the knee from ground to space where curvature saddles the known universe. Joy announces sorrow in the wish to live in many countries, turn all corners, marvel at the streets, and wash them. Sorrow ambers glory inside shabby rental houses, motes of sunlight, pollen, shoes well broken in. That last line for me in particular, shabby rental houses, motes of sunlight, pollen, shoes well broken in. It's such a beautiful image, but almost has this underlying feeling of, I don't think despair is the right word, but perhaps resignation. Is Mm -hmm. that something that you were going for? I wanted to include um, the deprivation of life and... um, uh, and to say inside a shabby rental house, you, you just as in a luxury house, uh, sunlight does come in through the window, but you also only really appreciate things after you've walked a lot and your shoes are worn. So, uh, when I'm glad you mentioned the ending of that poem because when that came, I, I think the poem possibly in the draft was going on and on, and I knew. Like, oh, no, that's where we get to. That's where we've been going all through the poem. Yeah, shoes, end of a journey, right? Yes, yes. I I read in another interview that you don't have a lot of formal schooling in poetry. In Mm. what ways has this maybe freed your writing? Well, um, I I don't have a big, say, influencer, uh, in the form of a, you know, professors or teachers. And I've schooled myself by very close reading of poets that I love. And as life has gone on, that has changed. Um, so I very consciously did not go to uh, school um, uh, to to be an artist. I uh, for whatever, for many different reasons. I I just wanted to uh, follow it myself and learn how to do it and, and how it goes. It, it's a bit of a handicap in some ways because I, I don't have ready-made, you know, networks for publication or things like this. Uh, I also uh, find that perhaps I'm always in doubt about my ability. I don't have a certificate, you know, that says, oh, MFA, she's a poet. Um, So I think the doubt is actually a kind of freedom that I can always find something more, uh, 
some further layer in the poem. And since that time when I, you know, turned 40 in Provincetown and decided this is really the central, the centrality in my life is poetry. I do so many other things and, you know, have done, but um, ever since then, it's been uh, an appreciation in a poem I'm writing of its many layers. A great many readers have have written to me. Uh, there's a, a contact form on my website and uh, also just uh, people who are emailing with me anyway about how they return to read a particular poem again and again. Or when they're going through the devil's fools, they read only two or three poems because they're they're full, they're enriched, and they want to go back to another couple of poems another time. And this is so gratifying because uh, this is this is what I'm reaching for with my audience. It's interesting when we talk about the freedom that maybe comes from not having that certificate, as you put it, mm -hmm. that there is this growing pushback, um, possibly with within, you know, the the poetry industry, for lack of a better word, also just for writing in general, that there is a certain freedom and also a certain openness for new writers mm -hmm. who may not be able to do those kind of MFA, you know, through expense, through time, through different things that mm -hmm. maybe pushing back against that is a way of increasing diversity, increasing an inclusivity for, mm -hmm. for new writers. I think that's true. Also, simultaneously, um, the Academy itself has really been pushing to diversify and be more inclusive. Um, but you, you find all sorts of poetry uh, groups and uh, little magazines and, you know, different focal points. There are people that want um, a poem to just be a representative of, of what they felt or saw that day and to share that. I would love if you would read another one of your poems for us. Can you can you read Holy Island? Okay, okay. Holy Island is uh, well off the coast of the Scottish English border is uh, an island that's called Holy Island. Iona is on the west, and this one Lindisfarne is on the east. You can you can walk over to Lindisfarne at low tide, but at high tide, it's cut off from the mainland. And it's also where the illuminated manuscript that's now called the Book of Kells was made. Holy Island. Am I hearing the split lauds of pilgrims bent from hours on the motorway, fingering their maps, the causeway awash? Do these hands nestle in pleasure as twigs stirred by a breeze find the calm of gravity? Are lines in my palms the branches of what I have sacrificed? Twice daily the tide, hilling toward dune grass, covers the road to the mainland. Grass, clear page on a still day, a scribble when the gale blows off the sea. The Lindisfarne monks stirred pigments they ground from earth's plants and metals through the manuscript tracing Jerusalem's news. The tree, the lamb, the vine. 
hands cupped on thighs, in a sanctuary unroofed long ago, I stand beneath a thin red arch of sandstone thumbed by wind. Miniature daisies scatter a white toehold. Sound thrums through space to this green place, this clapper in the bell wanting heaven. There is such a clear connection between myth and nature in your poems. Is there a particular moment you can remember where this really resonated for you, some place that you visited or maybe some experience that you had? Oh, well, um, when I was 30, um, my father-in-law died and left us a little money. And uh, I had never traveled outside the United States. And I said to my husband, I want to go to Greece and I want to go to Greece for a month. And I want to stand in those places where these myths that I loved as a child took place and just stand amid what was there and what's not there anymore. And when we returned from that month in Greece, uh, I was speechless. It was so different from any place I'd been, and I didn't have words for it. And here I am thinking, uh, so I was 29 when that uh, small letterpress collection was, was published. And here I am thinking, oh, I should have a lot to say about Greece, a lot of words about Greece. And and I didn't have, I, I couldn't do it. I was, uh, you know, I, I didn't write about Greece for a long time. But in that month of experience, it was like a moment that did internalize the connection between vision and myth and, and landscape. And um, yeah, and uh, to start, writing eventually about those places, not only as places, but as places where the iconic or archetypal image, uh, images that are Nemesis or Persephone or um, Odysseus uh, mm. supposedly existed. There, There is something to be said for having, I guess, that opportunity to not just see the things that we've read about, but it's more just to stand there and it's the sunlight that you feel. It's the air that you're breathing and knowing there's this mm -hmm. connection now to those things that you experienced through words growing up. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. It's so, it, the elements is so elemental in, in the sun and the, uh, the smell of the sea so close, so many places. Yeah. There are a couple of, of different poems in your collection that reference the foot and mouth epidemic that you that you talked about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and you mentioned that in in your notes, but reading those particular poems, I also felt like they could have been written about the past two years. Yes. Um, has mm. this really strange time that we find ourselves worked its way into your writing? I'm not sure about i i haven't directly sat and and written say pandemic poems but i think i have been writing poems uh in which there is a sense of um disconnection um from our everyday life and our society um a great 
gift that the pandemic gave to poets is we are now in touch with each other all over the world uh, through Zoom readings and through um, poetry series that are online that might have been online before, but more poets have found them uh, through the the time of the pandemic. We only have time for one more poem, um, and it's one of my favorites in this collection. Would you read No, But I Got the Laundry Done for us? I, I certainly will. Okay. This is a, a list poem. It's a list of questions. And the last stanza uh, alludes to uh, Marianne Moore's call for poets to uh, present for inspection, quote, imaginary gardens with real toads in them. Uh, and also to the fairy tale of what happens when the princess kisses the frog. No, but I got the laundry done. Did you pick up your room? Decide on vacation? Did you finish the work you brought home from work? Remember to eat? Feed mother her banana? For a minute, did you sail away to just meditate? Did you roll the conundrums of life and of earth on your tongue? Tip your hat, buff your boots, sign a check that saves no one. How does it start? The unreasoned conclusion. In today's society, our frantic pace. Were you asked in the hall on the street, can you stop a minute? Are you fair? and that real toad in your garden, the hefty one who rose unblinking on your new spring spade. You did bow, but to kiss it? I love that one so much. <laughs> the, wow. There is just this push-pull in the lines that just works so well here. Oh, push-pull. Now, what is that? <laughs> I, I just it's it's the way that the lines are are playing it playing with each other. And I think that there is a playfulness to it, along with this deeper kind of does it ever slow down? Yeah, yeah. Does it ever I, stop? You you've given a a, a definition of poetry with the lines playing with each other, that they, they knit together with each other. And when a poet's editing or revising, um I think that's part of the consciousness. Yeah. It worked really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, Mary, I want to, I just want to say thank you so much for talking with me today. I wish we could keep going, but this collection is beautiful and congratulations on it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Crystal. And if anyone wants to uh, read some of the poetry online uh, or even hear some of it, there's quite a bit of audio on my website, um, and that's marygilliland.com. There's there's plenty of stuff on that website, including um, how you can buy the books. Perfect. Thank you again. Okay. Well, thank you, Crystal. You can find out more about Mary Gilliland and her work on her website at marygilliland.com. We've got some great interviews coming up over the next few weeks. I'll be talking with Kate Hartfield about her historical fantasy, The Embroidered Book, which is a magical interpretation of the lives of Marie Antoinette and her sister Charlotte. And Leela Phillip will be joining me to talk about Beaverland, How One Weird Rodent Made America, which is this month's Science Friday book club pick. 
Off the Page is a production of WSKG Public Media. I'm your host and producer, Crystal Sorakis. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time we go Off the Page. <laughs>